to what extent does Alexander II deserve his title of Tsar Liberator? Alexander II was a man of contrasts and contradictions. He was a man made of dichotomies, a conservative with enlightening ideas, who was capable of compassion but yet ruthless and stubborn. In his early life, he had a very rigorous military training, but his liberal-minded tutor, Zukovsky, a very famous Russian poet, made him look at the world with different lenses. He travels around the Russian Empire, which allowed him to sympathize more with the people. And then, when he took over his father, Nicholas I, he dismissed unpopular ministers, allowed the church greater freedom, and permitted less censorship in Russian universities. He also freed political pr prisoners, the Decemberists. However, it cannot be assumed that Alexander II was a liberal. He was highly influenced by family members, such as his brother and his aunt. Alexander II liked to think of himself as a mediator, conservative and yet progressive, avoiding a compromising definition. The failure in the Crimean War of 1854 showed the weakness of the army, the inefficiency of the financial administration of Russia, and the problems with the archaic features of serfdom. So Alexander II felt, in a sense, that he had to act as a Tsar and change the dynamics of the Russian society. The emancipation of the serfs was the reform that earned Alexander II the title of Tsar Liberator. Indeed, the grant of individual freedom and civil rights to 20 million people previously in legal bondage was the greatest single liberating measure in the whole modern history of Europe. Peasants can now regulate their own lives, own private property, and bring action through courts and engage in trades. The 1861 edict accomplished for Russia what was only done in France in uh, 1789, in the French Revolution. Its lateral impact was also significant, for the end of serfdom necessitated reforms in the entire system of justice, local government, and military service. So, through this perspective, it can be said that it was the emancipation of the serf that the serfs that brought forward so many other reforms in Russia under Alexander II. But from another viewpoint, the edict of emancipation can be seen as a major reform carried out in a traditional, even cautious way. Alexander's own intention was to carry out a controlled measure from above in order to forestall violent uprisings from below. Additionally, Nicholas I had also disliked serfdom, considering it the undebatable evil of Russian life. He had established a secret committee in order to examine the possibility of gradual liberation and added a fifth order to the state chancellery in order to implement f future changes. So from this point on onwards, obstacles to complete emancipation became increasingly serious, and in a sense, it was left as a heritage to Alexander II. Demonstrating the uh, edict was the culmination of a long but intermittent campaign. So it wasn't really Alexander II who brought forward this liberal idea of freeing the serfs in Russia. He but, carried it out. Yeah, he carried it out, but it was an idea of Nicholas I, which... Uh, Nicholas I himself couldn't do, couldn't, mm -hmm. couldn't make possible. And the aftermath also illustrates the cautious nature of emancipation. The details of the terms were drafted by bureaucracy, aiming to uphold the socioeconomic status of the Russian nobility. Hence, emancipation was hedged with restrictions, such as redemption payments. Also, also yeah, yeah the, the land wasn't distributed 
um, on a hereditary basis. So if you were a serf that worked in your own lens, the lens wasn't given to you, obviously. It was on a repetitional one. So the, the lens went back to, to the landowners and not to the serfs themselves. So the overall result was that the peasantry was still bound to a system which would not allow for the development of simple and free enterprise in the rural areas. So overall, with the Emancipation Act, um, I don't see Alexander II deserving this title of Tsar Liberator, despite the, Eman the Emancipation Act being this literal idea of liberation, right? Yes, it was liberation, but... The Tsar Liberator is, is too much of a... A claim or too idealistic much Idealistic title. Yeah. He didn't wish to liberate the, the serfs. The only thing he wanted is to, uh, you know, avoid uprisings from below. He said it himself. Maybe it was him even postponing these risings to what happened in the last years of Tsarist Russia. He, yes. He just made it happen later on. Yes. He was avoiding uprisings from below. During his by, reign. By, you know, creating this sort of transformative change from above. Yeah. So despite the Emancipation Act not being a direct... Um, reflection of a tsar liberator yes. it did indeed push for alexander's further reforms yes following the wake of emancipation the legal system needed a complete overhaul so in 1864 this local governments could no longer delegate judicial responsibility to the nobility as part of their feudal power the nobility didn't Uh, have this say in Russia anymore. Yeah. And the reforms in 1864 were very far-reaching in that sense. They introduced key concepts of Western jurisprudence, such as equality before the law, trial before the jury, and the separation of criminal and civil cases. So yeah. Russia did modernize, mm -hmm. did, did change as a result of this reform. Yeah, they also reduced the level of bribery, which had affected the court in the previous reign, and did much to modify the corporal punishment. Again, however, there were signs of continuity as well as change. So Nicholas I although hardly renowned for his knowledge of judicial procedure, had shown some concern for corruption and appointed a committee under Bluduff, which was one of his ministers. So even though Alexander's reforms transcended the narrow view of earlier administrators such as Bluduff, when it came to implementing the changes, the force of tradition became apparent. These older church courts continued to deal with various cases and military courts were given considerable powers as well. So the reforms, indeed, they did change something, but to con consider their actual effectiveness and um, how they were implemented yeah. in the long run. Yes, and I think the title of Sara Liberated itself suggests a certain uniqueness to Alexander. It's as if he was the first person to desire such change in Russia. And it's clear that he's continuing lots yeah, of things. That the, the, the second, he's just carrying on the concerns of, of Nicholas I. Yes, exactly. However, in one way that Alexander did initiate a reform were in the local government reforms. Yes, he formed the Zemstvo in 1864, and this was seen as the first step in the evolution of representative institutions in Russia. 
Yeah, still, he did try his best to circumscribe the powers of the Zemsvo and the Duma and keep them under the supervision of the central government's powers. He let them under control of uncontroversial functions such as provision of primary education and the improvement of medical facilities, which could not become a threat to autocracy. So, in a sense, um, in my view, the, the local government's reforms, like the Zemsvo specifically, was more of a populist move from mm -hmm. from Alexander II as a star. And again, he was just trying to maintain his own autocracy by... He did appease the people by giving them a sense yeah. as they had this um, representative, which was the Zensos, but at the same time, he did remain in control and he did still put his autocracy in the first place. Yes. This is, of course, civil, similar to uh, the Zolverein in, uh, yes. in Germany, which was seen by A.G.P. Taylor as a form of appeasement of the middle classes. So in this sense, yes, it was the first representative institution in Russia, but... Uh, What did it actually do? What were its powers? Also, the same thing... The seconds limited them. The same thing with Bismarck's constitution and him giving this idea of a Reichstag yes. where the chancellor and the emperor had overall the ultimate power in yes. the decisions. So, it's, it's a pattern in, in yeah. Europe. This, this sort of, like, government reform which doesn't really reform anything but just keeps reforms from below limited and... Um, appeases the population in that sense. Mm -hmm. So, of course, Alexander II may have been seen as our liberator, but when discussing if he did deserve the title, then it becomes a more contradictory debate. Yes. Following the Russian defeats in the Crimean War, Alexander recognized the need to address Russia's military needs. His appointment of Dmitry Milutin as the Minister of Defense in 1862 was a strategic move in order to close the gap between Russia's inadequate army and the highly efficient Persian forces under Bismarck. Yes, so um, this... Guy, yeah, Militin, he introduced military cadet schools and colleges to train officers, in addition to the modernization of military medical services. Also, um, the Conscription Act ended nobles' exemption from military service, with a quarter of men aged 20 serving each year. Yeah, these changes, they helped create a new spirit of professionalism within the smaller, better-trained army in which promotion depended less on social status and more on merit. The reforms also helped restore Russian international reputation with victory against the Turks in 1877. So again, I think we see why... Perhaps Alexander II was called the Tsar Liberator. In addition to being a populist, he was also a very militaristic nationalist. And I think that left people sort of content with his government and, and seeing him as a liberal. But the only thing he did do at this point was appoint a, a general and pass on several um, Uh, measures which made the the military more more I think strong, yeah I think also potent. with the severe and drastic contrast on the humiliation of the Crimean War yeah. with a tad a bit of success on the Turks that obviously um made his image or his title much more impacting and yes more but Russia didn't keep track. Uh, track of the pace of the West in terms of producing armaments. The victory in 1877 against the Turks wasn't repeated soon enough. 
So, you know, there was the war against Japan in, in yeah, 1904, end. which ended, ended in defeat. Yeah. And uh, also the, the efforts against Germany in the First World War proved disastrous, again, so, which was ultimately one of the main factors for the end of Tsarism in Russia. So, I mean... It's momentaneous, right? It's momentaneous, right? With the the victory in the Turks and the contracts with the Crimean War, um, definitely he can be seen as this Tsar liberator, modernizer, reformer, whatever else we could call him. But indeed, again... A short yes. term of yes, a reform. And, and the nobility as well, when, when addressing the social impact of, of the military reforms, they were able to sort of deviate those reforms by finding others to serve as substitutes in their place, you know, to go to the army mm-hmm. in their place. And the officer class also remains very aristocratic and retains their old fashioned values. So, you know, these officers still preferred bayonets to rifles because they believed that long-ranged weapons would encourage cowardice. So there was this also, like, very traditional traditional Russian way of doing things, which was, of course, what Alexander III uh, fought for in the coming years. This, like, Russification and all of that yeah. was still present in the army, and, and that's why Alexander III was also able to implement that in his regime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, furthermore, um, Alexander's economic reforms, um, although the Emancipation Act had provided groundwork for a money-based economy with the liberation of the serfs, government intervention was still needed to channel investment along the right paths, as Russia lacked the middle class that had driven industrial revolutions elsewhere in Europe. Yeah, um, the appointment of Mikhail von Rotern as Minister of Finance in 1862 signaled this move towards greater state investment in industry. Rutherford had been described as a financial wizard. His reform of the treasury and tax system was what helped out um, the national currency and put it on a, f- uh, a more firm footing, you know, it, it made yeah. it more stable. Yeah, his creation of the savings and national banks encouraged the development of businesses. And moreover, Reuton was particularly interested in the development of railway networks, with the line being inaugurated in 1857 between St. Petersburg and Moscow, creating the first state-managed industrial advance. Yeah, the the Russian industries of iron, coal, and textile were also expanded, in addition to the boom in agriculture. So I think in terms of economy, like there was a lot of impulse coming from Alexander II. But then when we look at the title of Tsar Liberator, who is this really liberating? No one. I think he was and much more... And who actually did everything a in, modernizer. This, in th- these reforms? Was it Alexander or von Morten? Yeah, I, I think um, it was just a way of ensuring that the army would have proper armaments and that Germany would... Germany, no, sorry, Russia would be put back on track. Yeah, but undeniably, this is a significant change for Russia at the time. Russia was in a state of economic turmoil and um, much less developed than the other European powers at the time. So any change and strive towards an industrialized economy and country is um, well seen. But then coming back to the actual question of today's podcast, um, was Alexander II a liberator? I think in this sense, his uh, measures are, are, you know, very 
focused on Maybe the modernization of Russia, not if, necessarily in making the population more... If we're tr- trying to fit into the question more, we can see the term liberator as liberating Russia to start competing with the other European powers, in a sense. Um, Russia... Um, in its economy, the way that it was, it couldn't ever stand a chance against the European powers due to its size and um, how little industrialized it was. Every step was actually liberating Russia to become a grand power as the others were at the time. So I think that could be a stir in the question that we could provide with these reforms. Yes. Um, Well, then uh, we have Alexander II's church reforms, which I think for anyone who is still at this point considering he was indeed a Tsar liberator is sort of the cutting <laughs> edge for that because, um, of course, the, the government relied on the Orthodox Church as an essential ally in maintaining control. That went, you know, back long time in all of the Romanov dynasty and up to Nicholas II. And the loyalty of the, the population and, of course, on the church believers to, to gods and, and to the Orthodox Church was seen as vital in maintaining um, the autocratic rule because the star was seen as a, a figure chosen by God to be mm-hmm. in that role. Yeah, but however, in 1858, um, the priest Ivan Belustin wrote a report on the poverty and lack of skill of the rural clergy, claiming the priests were illiterate to perform essential rites. And consequently, the Minister for Internal Affairs set up a commission to examine the practice of the Orthodox Church. Their findings showed that the capable priests needed to rise through the church hierarchy. So, um, in this sense, what happened was that uh, Alexander II saw there was this threat to his rule, to, to his uh, legitimacy as a, a Tsar. You know, if, if the Tsar was chosen by God, but the clergy was portrayed as illiterate and poor and their words weren't to be trusted by the population, then Alexander II felt the need to appoint this commission in order to examine the practice of the church and, you know, change the, the social order inside the church and, and make the priest rise through, through the hierarchy. Yes, indeed. Any doubt towards the church was alarming for the Tsar. And uh, again, his, set, his setting up of this Orthodox Church uh, commission to examine them was uh, his way on maintaining the his autocracy for the while because it's inevitable that people would start doubting the church at some point. Yes. Yeah. So we see that in like the underlying tone of all of his reforms. In the church reforms, he wished to maintain his own autocratic rule. In the financial and economic development, he wished to just modernize his empire, Mm -hmm. Russia and and the military. The military reforms as well were were to sort of redeem the the nationalism in in Russia. And restore it from the humiliation of the Crimean War. Um, The local government reforms and the legal reforms were, of course, a way of like managing what had been changed in the Emancipation Act and like make these changes again under his power. And, And of course, the Emancipation Act, despite being very significant, was limited. So um, this leaves us with the final like um, years of, of his autocracy. 
which was a, a period characterized by reaction. Yes, this phase of reaction. Um, in 1866, an ex-student named Karakozov attempted to assassinate the Tsar. Alexander and his ministers were affected psychologically by the emergence of radicalism, rather in the form of the Communist Manifesto published in 1847 or in the first revolutionary political society, the Land and Liberty. This assassination attempt undermined Alexander II's confidence in his reformist mission and made him more willing to listen to the conservatives and the churchmen. Nihilists, subversives, and agitators considered enemies of the state were duly put down and Karakazov, which um, was the person who, who tried to kill him, was hanged in public. Alexander replaced the liberal minister of education and replaced him with the conservative ox orthodox Dmitry Tolstoy. So he he's going back on his reforms yes. now. Um, critical thinking subjects such as history in itself were replaced and only students from traditional high schools could go to university. Education was seen as a way of following traditional moral principles rather than developing individual values. So all of the cultural and educational reforms that Alexander had imposed were reversed, right? Moreover, um, his legal reforms were also reversed. A number of open show trials were held uh, in which the juries acquitted many accused of subversive political behavior. Yes, in 1878, these hearings were only held in military courts, which could pass sentences in secrecy. <laughs> so there was no justice whatsoever. And I think, in a sense, this is um, Alexander II's reaction to a failed assassination attempt. And the radicalists. Yes, but, I mean, in a sense, it could also be um, a demonstration that he wasn't a Tsar liberator at all. Yeah. From the onset. The Land and Liberty Organization, which was um, at split this in, point, yeah, yeah, split at two this parties. point, yes, at this point, it was already split into two parties. It took effective action against Alexander's appeasement liberalism and the increased Tsarist autocracy. So they went against this yeah. period of reversing his reforms. Yeah, right? for, for the sake of, of time, we'll not go over all of their assassination attempts. But after four assassination attempts, um, Alexander II was killed on the day he was to sign a proposition of further reforms. He was inside a um, transportation, what's the name? Of a coach. A coach, yes. And the, the mom was, was thrown in the coach driver accidentally. Of course, it was supposed to go to Alexander II. And then Alexander II left the coach to see the situation. And then um, <laughs> another bomb was, uh, was thrown and, and he um, was assassinated. Yeah. So we do not really know and um, maybe there was room for him to become a liberator maybe yes, he was going, he was to, going sign. to sign the reforms on that day and in that sense some historians claim that indeed that shows he, he would probably um become more of a star liberator a more clear star liberator at some point But also, why was he passing these reforms? Because he wanted to appease the population even more and avoid... Fearing um, this, this radicalist movement yeah, and the, these, these assassination, assassination attempts. attempts. So um, Maybe a reaction as a fear or less of an intention yes. to actually modernize. 
So yes. yeah. um, his reign started in high hope and ended in this like futile tragedy, which was uh, an accident after four assassination attempts. He died just because he left his coach. Yeah, in a sense, we can actually see him as both a disappointing liberal with his reforms and an inefficient autocrat because even with the reversal of his, his reforms and his overlying um, attempt to restore his autocracy, he was inefficient in, to, in a sense with the radicalist um, yeah. movements in the end. Um, when we look at Russia, the Soviet Union, in the Cold War, there was the perestroika uh, sort of um, policy which opened the Soviet Union's economy to the rest of the world once the economy was failing and this was a clear reversal of um, you know the, the sort of socialist ideal of the Soviet Union and this I think aligns perfectly with what was already seen in this area of great reforms which was sort of this complete reversal of values in order to appease the population and, and create this more um, Uh, acceptable environment mm -hmm. in, in Russia where there would be less uprisings from below and change from above. Yeah. So Alexander's main concerns were always military and fiscal. These provided the initial impetus towards emancipation and continued to dominate all aspects of domestic policies throughout the period. Yes, um, the emancipation was a prelude to a more efficient army and a more modern fiscal system the achievements of which were always given priority throughout the 1860s and 1870s. So um, I think emancipation is seen by many as the main factor which proves he was a star liberator. But in fact, it was just a, a way of achieving a more efficient army and a more modern yeah. economic system. Yeah, this argument, while drawing attention away from the value of some of the legal and social changes, doesn't provide the period with a degree of stability and consistency. In any case, like Nicholas II, Alexander realized that effective autocracy must depend ultimately on fiscal management and military strength. Yes, while Alexander uh, may have intended genuinely to act in the best interest of his people, He carried through the reforms in accordance with his duty to improve a system that had failed Russia in the Crimea.